0: Hey, everybody. This is your host, April Hanna, and thanks for tuning in to our book club. We are reviewing the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, and we are moving right along to chapter six. It is titled, You're Wrong About Everything, But So Am I. I love his titles in this book. They're pretty catchy. And remember, his book is more of a counterintuitive approach to life. Um, This chapter kind of really starts starts to get going around page 117, and he talks about how growth is an endless process. Um, I am on the second paragraph down, and he says, When we learn something new, we don't go from wrong to right. Rather, we go from wrong to slightly less wrong. And then we learn something additional, and we go from slightly less wrong to slightly less wrong than that. And he's basically trying to hit the point home that we actually don't want to get into a state of feeling like we know everything about everything and we're right about everything. Um, He talks about trying not to find the ultimate right answer for ourselves, but rather we should be looking to chip away at the ways in which we're wrong. Again, here's that counterintuitive approach. So many of us would like to be the experts on certain subjects and to know that we're right about everything and let me spread my knowledge. But in this chapter, he's really making us take a look at Uh, going through life in a different way and kind of being comfortable with uncertainty being okay with the fact that we are wrong, and maybe we never get it right. It kind of reminds me of the teachings of um, Abraham with Esther Hicks. And one of the things that I've heard her say over and over is, we never get it wrong, and we never get it done. Now on page 119, he also talks about how certainty is an enemy, and that nothing is really for certain until it has happened, already happened, and even then, it's still debatable. So on page 119, further down the third paragraph, he talks about how instead of striving for certainty, we should be in constant search of doubt, doubting our own beliefs, doubting about our own feelings, doubting about what the future may hold for us. And instead of looking to be right all the time, we should be looking about how we're wrong all the time. And then that's where he is talking about change begins to happen. Um, You know, if things were always going right, and we were the expert of our lives, really, what would we be learning? I also like that he talks about doubting beliefs, trying not to have too much of a belief system, and that also reminds me of our first film, The Path Afterlife, when we were having a little bit of debate in that documentary, where William Buellman and Tom Campbell actually talk about dismantling people's belief systems, and that really belief gets you nowhere, Experience does, right? Words don't really teach, but experience does. So what do you get if you believe in something? Nothing, really, it just becomes a repeated thought pattern. And then usually our beliefs can turn into traps, which is a a part of our first film in talking about religion and spirituality. So I was also seeing that how he has a section in this chapter called The Architects of Our Own Beliefs on page 120 to 123. He starts to break that down a little bit and also is talking about how our mind likes to work. On page 122, second paragraph down, he says, Our minds are constantly whirling, generating more and more associations to help us understand and control the environment around us. And, you know, when people do come in to see me, a lot of times they'll say, I want to stop feeling so anxious. I need to get a hold of my thoughts. And I kind of like to tell people that your mind in this organ is actually doing exactly what it's programmed to do. But really what we're trying to do is also counterintuitive and trying to get the mind to stop seeking out so many problems and causing us so much anxiety and trying to foreshadow and predict what's going to happen. So, he also goes on to talk about how the mind likes to create meaning, and our brains are designed to hold on to that meaning. And many times, when we get stuck in Something that has already created a meaning in our lives, it's hard for us to look beyond that because we can kind of get stuck in that belief and in that meaning. And on page 123, he says, and actually, most of our beliefs are wrong, or to be more exact, all beliefs are wrong. Some are just more wrong than others. And then he goes on to talk about being careful what you believe. And I had actually never heard of what he was talking about, which I probably should have, considering I'm in the therapy field. But he goes on to talk about how there was a certain therapy that was being practiced in psychotherapy that later, I guess, turned out to be pretty bad, and a lot of therapists ended up getting sued. And what they ended up calling it is false memory syndrome. So it was trying to access different parts of people's subconscious mind and getting them to remember traumas that happened in their lives. But what was proved in the courts, according to him, was that some of these traumas never happened. And that um, this repressed memory therapy basically ended up falling out of practice and was replaced by more practical methods. Now... I have to do more research on this, people, because this was uh, the first that I had read about it. But, you know, I know in my hypnotherapy training is, you know, when we're talking about the subconscious mind, there really is some truth behind repressed memories that can happen. So I don't know. I don't know if I have an opinion on this quite yet because I haven't done enough research, but it also... I don't know, I guess I just question if something actually did happen, or even if it's not in this life or maybe in a past life, that would the brain and the mind really be able to make a story up like that? I'm not sure. But anyway, that was kind of a cool part of this chapter. It gave me something to think about and educated me on something in the therapy uh, community that I had not been aware of. Um, Okay, so moving on a little bit more. I'd like to jump all the way to pages 134 and 135, right at the bottom. And he talks about the more that you try to be certain about something, the more uncertain and insecure you will feel. He says, the more you embrace being uncertain and not knowing, the more comfortable you will feel in knowing what you don't know. (laughs) So he talks about how our uncertainty can remove our judgments of others and of ourselves. And that there is a freedom in that. And he also goes on to say that uncertainty is the root of all progress and all growth. The more we admit we do not know, the more opportunities we gain to learn. And I would agree with that as well. Um, I wish sometimes that when I was recording this podcast that I had a few of you to banter with back and forth because I just find uh, this concept of really letting go and trying to live life more uncertain. um, It's got to be a challenging thing, right? Because I think we do like to be experts and know all and share knowledge. But this is definitely, I think, a chapter that I'm looking forward to putting into more practice. Because I would say over the past year, and if you followed the podcast, there have definitely been some things that have left me shaking my head and feeling like, wow, maybe I really don't know what's going on here in life. And I think I was practicing his uncertainty principle without even knowing I was practicing it. But I would agree that in that, when I kind of threw up my hands and said, oh my God, this life is so confusing and I don't get it, I, there was a huge relief because I'm like, maybe I don't need to try to figure it out. And then you move more into that state of allowing and going with the flow and uh, makes me think of, Wayne Dyer would say all the time, be more like water. And if we were more like water and we were more flexible around life and the circumstances and things that happen and not be the expert and not be the know-it-all and not always be right, that there, there is an element of freedom in that. And that's what I feel the message is in this chapter. That Mark is trying to uh, portray here. I also liked on pages 139 to 141. He actually talks about Buddhism. And he said, it's actually a great way to basically try to live your life. He says, in a sense, you could say that Buddhism, Buddhism encourages you not to give a fuck. Um, and he goes on to explain a little bit about the concepts in Buddhism, but also He talks about, and I think what he's really saying is removing a little bit of the ego and trying not to be special, try not to be unique, and redefine the metrics. Now, in a few chapters back, he was talking about how our metrics and how we measure life uh, with those metrics can kind of cause all of these issues that we're having about always wanting to be right or caring about this and caring too much about that. And he talked about measuring yourself more by mundane identities, such as a student, a partner, a friend, a creator. And that's towards the bottom of page 140. He says, the narrower and rarer the identity you choose for yourself, the more everything will seem to threaten you. And I think that's right. So let's, I'll just use myself for an example. If I said I am an energy healer, I am a therapist, that really I feel like it does narrow me into all of a sudden I need to be an expert in some of this stuff. But if I go back even further and use more general terms like I'm a creator, um, I am a student of consciousness, that opens up so many more avenues for me to be able to explore. I even feel more creative uh, thinking about those terms that are that aren 't as unique and kind of pigeonholes me into being something more precise, so I really like that, and I liked um, maybe just using these words as more general in trying to i guess identify ourselves. I think as humans, we are always trying to claim some sort of identity right that 's like our ego work, our ego wants us to feel special, so you know what 's one of the first things that you 're asked when you meet somebody? Um, um, hey, how are you? Good. Nice to meet you. So what do you do for a living? We're constantly trying to figure out people's identities and trying to have, have one. So imagine if you just walked around and said, I'm just a student of life and you didn't really talk about what you did in your profession. Um, I think Mark Manson would probably really like that. Then towards the end of this chapter, he gives the reader three questions to ask yourself and how to be a little less certain of yourself. Question one, what if I'm wrong? Question two, what would it mean if I were wrong? And question three, would being wrong create a better or a worse problem than my current problem for both myself and others? So I'm hoping when you read this chapter, and as you're listening along, that you're going to look at not being right about everything, not feeling so special, trying to maybe whittle away at the certainty that you have, or that you think you have about life? And can you kind of step more into that student role of feeling like or knowing or acting as if you are constantly learning and you don't know a thing? Like what if we just all walked around imagining that we were kindergartners all the time? Um, so I hope that you enjoyed this chapter as much as I did. And I know that it gave me a lot to think about. And I really like this approach. So I am going to try in the rest of and what year are we in? (laughs) 2017. Um, The next few months this fall to walk in this a little bit more and practice this. So thanks for tuning into our book club. I hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for the next episode. We will be reviewing chapter seven. And the name of that chapter is Failure is the Way Forward. So here we go. Let's learn other ways to fail. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Signing off.